Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. New Books in Economics, brought to you by EAEPE, the European Association for Evolutionary Political Economy. Welcome to this new episode of New Books in Economics, part of the New Books Network. I'm Andre Bernardi, your host. I'm from Oxford Brooks University, and today I am um, welcoming in the podcast the author of a great, very interesting, very original book. The title is The Economics of Military Spending, a Marxist Perspective, published in 2019, just now by Routledge. And the author is Professor Adam Yavutz Alverin from Fitchburg University in the United States near Boston. Um, thanks for being with us. Welcome. And can, you, can we start with you introducing yourself, your background, and your current and past affiliations? Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, well, I am Associate Professor of Economics in Fitchburg State University and also a Research Fellow at the Economic Research Forum. So before joining the Fitchburg State faculty, I taught at several universities at both undergraduate and graduate levels in Turkey and the United States. Uh, I earned my PhD in economics from the University of Utah, and I have two distinct research fields, uh, economics of gender and the effect of military spending on the economy. Let's start with this project. It is a very original book. And actually, I think this is the the first book focusing on military spending from an economics point of view, and the first with an empirical analysis on the effect of military expenditure on the economy, and in particular on the profit rate, as we'll see later. Uh, so can you tell us the origin of this uh, very, very original project and why a book on military spending? Uh, well, uh, I am interested in defense and peace economics, and with my co-authors, I studied the impact of military spending on income inequality and economic growth. Actually, particularly the effect of military spending on economic growth is very hot topic in the fields of uh, defense and peace economics. Uh, but uh, I think it's very also important to understand how it affects profit rates. That's why. I extend this research with my backgrounds, or I should say, with my interest in political economy to analyze the effect of military spending on profit rates, which is a uh, very important, say, key indicator of health of a capitalist economy. So that was the main motivation behind this book, to sort of fill this gap and provide some empirical evidence. So I can say in that sense, the book stands at the intersection of defense and peace economics, and Marxist economics. So let's start with this economic effect of military spending. What is it? And how can we compare contemporary effect on the economy with uh, what happened in the... Uh, well, uh, it's actually a very important question and not, how should I say, it's very complex, 
because at the very basic level, we can think that military spending is just another government spending. So in that sense, theories suggest that it increases air gate demand. Therefore, uh, it increases economic growth. And there's another positive effect that theories suggest uh, in that the technology that was provided in the military sector spillovers or spin off to the civilian sector. So that's another positive impact of military spending on the economy, on the economic growth. But as you can easily guess, there are some counter arguments uh, as well, uh, because we are here talking about very basic trade-off, right, between military spending and other type of government spending. So uh, in that sense, it's a typical guns versus bother argument. So therefore, the key question uh, in this context is that uh, which dollar will benefit economy more? The dollar that you spend on missiles or fighter jets or this very same dollar that you spend on schools, uh, hospitals, on, I mean, education and health. So uh, that's why I said it's a very actually important and comprehensive question. Uh, and uh, there are two chapters devoted to answer that question. Uh, that covers the literature, literature, uh, and you know, if you allow me to summarize, so basically, you know, there are two positive impacts because if you increase military spending, uh, it is part of government expenditures. Therefore, you push air gate demands, and then you boost economic growth. But it's also very important because military, military expenditure itself, the key tools to reinforce political and economic hegemony over other countries. And it is very important because in the long term, that creates some uh, economic advantages in the long run. Uh, So this is the positive side. But on the negative side, the very same theory suggests that higher military spending may hurt the economy uh, because higher military spending may crowd out public and or private investment. And this is important because this kind of investment uh, is more likely to increase productive capacity of the economy in the long run. So that means, in other way, higher military spending is likely to prevent uh, productive capacity of the economy uh, from uh, increasing. So, and of course, this is the theory. Uh, let me finish with what empirical evidence says. Uh, as you can see here, it says it is more empirical question than a theoretical question. Uh, uh, I think there are two types of sort of basically models, supply side and demand side models. And by construction, the supply side models tend to yield positive effect. And again, by construction, demand side models yield negative effect. And needless to say, again, as you can easily guess, when it comes to this empirical studies, you know, they based on different country groups, they focus on different time periods, they have totally different model specifications, uh, and some of them actually pay attention to uh, just linearity, other also focus on consider potential nonlinear relationship. And therefore, it's not surprised that uh, their results are conflicting, not uh, conclusive. Uh, but a little bit more uh, careful analysis suggests that uh, if you focus on more recent studies, they are more likely to suggest 
negative impact of military spending in economic growth because they use more advanced econometric techniques. So I think it was a little bit long answer to your question, but that's pretty much uh, the effect of military spending on economy. Very good. By the way, I forgot to mention the structure of the book. We've got several chapters, eight, and uh, after the first, which is introduction, we then have the second, economic models of the military expenditure growth nexus. Then we have the third, military Keynesianism and the military-industrial complex. Then we've got Marxist crisis theories. Then we've got the effect of military expenditure on profitability in Marxist theories. And finally, the econometric analysis of the nexus of military expenditure and the profit rate, and yes. towards the conclusion, analysis of this nexus and conclusions. Yes. Um, maybe focusing on this second chapter, what economic theory says about military spending? And then can we focus on the so-called military Keynesianism? Uh, sure. Uh, military Keynesianism is the policy of using military spending as a counter-cyclical economic uh, tool. Uh, so, as I discussed, you know, the theory basically suggests that, you know, since military spending is part of government spending, it increases economic growth. But again, as I mentioned, at the same time, it is likely that uh, this uh, such of I mean, this uh, spending may crowd out other type of government expenditure. So the key issue is that which one is more likely to uh, benefit the economy. And of course, there is a very hot topic about if military Keynesianism that or not. Uh, and that's what I try to actually cover in my book as well in chapter three. Okay, can we now move to a very interesting, very important notion, concept, probably very famous in the United States, less so in Europe. What is, can you explain to the audience, what is the military-industrial complex and what economists yes. and politicians argue about this notion of relationship between the defense industry and the political sphere? Uh, absolutely, sure. Uh, well, uh, military-industrial complex uh, can be defined as a symbiotic coalition between the military and its industrial suppliers, arms producers. And it's a concept that became very famous with uh, President Eisenhower's in his very famous speech in 1961. And I think what makes this concept more important, at least from uh, my perspective, is that it's very important to note that we are talking about a general, a general uh, uh, of the United States during the Second World War. And also we are talking about a Republican president. And he was here actually warning American society uh, about the like sort of dangerous conjunction between immense military establishment and this arms industry. So... Uh, it is important because I think that is the case for many countries. We see this uh, military-industrial complex, and it is particularly very important in the case of United States politics. I mean, if you ask me when it comes to military spending, I think there is no remarkable difference between Democrats and Republicans. Uh, so, And I'm not saying that it is just the case in the United States. I think... Uh, for the most of the countries, it is uh, true that 
as a politicians, you cannot get the popular votes by arguing the negative effects of military spending in the long run. It is much difficult task uh, to tell people how it may be uh, harmful to the economy. And in that sense, uh, if you allow me, I'd like to maybe say that uh, I think it will be fair to say that one minor novel part of this book is my analysis of military industrial complex, because instead of like just simply reviewing the literature, I prefer to discuss military industrial complex uh, through the writings of John Kenneth Galbraith, a very famous economist. Uh, and I did this, I prefer to study, reread Galbraith's reading for two equal, equally important reasons. I mean, first of all, uh, as I said, uh, I mean, he didn't. Actually, Galbraith didn't analyze militarism uh, or the effects of military spending per se. But his theory of giant corporation is, I think, very helpful to understand the emerge of military-industrial complex. Uh, and the second equally important reason is that we are not here not just talking about a great economist, but we are talking about an insider public intellectual. Because Galbraith actually played a significant role in American economic policy uh, during Second World War uh, in the 50s, in 60s, and I think all the way to the late 1970s, uh, because he served in major uh, positions uh, in the administrations of Roosevelt, Truman, Kennedy, uh, and Johnson. Uh, so that's why uh, I uh, try to understand military industrial complex uh, by rereading Galbraith's writing. Uh, you know, basically, like uh, if we just recall his concept of the revised squints, it's very helpful to understand military industrial complex because that uh, concept referring the control that or demand in market is not from consumers to producers, but the other way around. That means actually now uh, producers create the supply. So that's why Galbraith argues that defense requirements are not a purely national policy, uh, but rather actually state serves to accommodate the needs of this industrial system. Uh, I think it's very important. Uh, and uh, what he says, basically, again, um, I think if you look at the early uh, writings of Galbraith, he had tendency to emphasize sort of uh, positive uh, effect or positive channels uh, in which military spending affect economic growth, particularly in terms of military spending's role in underwriting technology. But with the 1980s, uh, in his late writings, it seems uh, he started to emphasize more of negative effects, particularly by emphasizing this like sort of disproportional allocation of resources and engineers in the military sector. Uh, it was a typical the uh, liberal argument, uh, sort of, I mean, he was one very important representative of the liberal school. So basically, the argument is that, you know, uh, the same dollar probably will create uh, more benefit to the economy, you know, like the 
not spending uh, for the military, but uh, in other um, education or health, because they are more likely to increase the productive capacity of the economy. So that's basically what I discussed uh, in that chapter under the military industrial complex. Very good. Can we move now to the uh, second part of the book, which is uh, introduced by the subtitle of your book? So we are talking about the economics of military spending, but through a Marxist perspective. So why you adopted a Marxist perspective and what does this add to the study of military spending? Uh, yes, uh, as I uh, said, the, actually the literature, the neoclassical mainstream literature in defense economics uh, is immense. Uh, they study the effects of military spending on economic growth. Uh, but I think that's the contribution of uh, Marxist thinking. Uh, they focus on another important indicator, which is profit rate. And And that was actually my goal to understand that relationship between military spending and profit rates. Uh, so sort of the basic question I was trying to answer is that uh, whether military spending counteracts the tendency of the profit rates to fall or not. But at this stage, uh, please let me clearly note that actually there is no deal theory of militarism or military spending in Marxist thought. So I'm not talking about a, like a general theory uh, accepted by all Marxist scholars, but rather uh, we see uh, different theories based on different assumptions uh, about this relationship. Uh, like uh, neither Marx nor Engels actually examined the uh, economic aspects of military. Uh, they don't have a coherent theoretical perspective. Uh, I think Engels uh, mentioned the role of military in only one of his writings, where he emphasized that military spendings is mm, very expensive, like devilishly expensive. I think he meant sort of like negative, possible negative uh, effect of military spending on the economy. Uh, so, So I think I think it would be fair to say that the first Marxist thinker who discussed the role of uh, military coherently was Rosa Luxemburg in her book The Accumulation of Capital in 1913. Uh, that's very important because Luxemburg uh, very clearly argued that military spending allows uh, capitalist economies to extend into external markets. That's what Uh, capitalism, that's what capital economy needs. Uh, and that's the one key means for realizing surplus value. Uh, and then actually, if we look at the other Marxist thought, I think like departing from this point made by Rosa Luxemburg, I think the biggest contribution made by uh, Paul Baran and Paul Suisi uh, in their famous, very famous book, Monopoly Capital, published in 1966. Uh, it is very important because they provided the most articulated theory of stagnation. Uh, and in this discussion, actually, they emphasize the very important, the critical role of military spending. Uh, they actually devoted one whole chapter to military spending in their book. So What they argue, basically, they argue that uh, the capitalist development by its nature likely to create sort of monopoly, 
like monopolistic power uh, because the capital uh, gets concentrated in increasing the fewer giant firms, and which is not good because that restricts output investment and also uh, equally important that also reduce workers purchasing power uh, purchasing power. So. Uh, um, Therefore, actually, that creates stagnation. And military spending enters to this picture at this point because military spending is an important component of this monopolistic power. Uh, Baran and Suisi argue that actually, like high military spending in the United States, and they focus on 1940s and 50s in their book, and they argue that high military spending actually prevented stagnation. Uh, because it was increasing aid gate demand and observing surplus. Uh, I think that's very important because they also uh, make it very clear why military spending is very functional. Uh, why not other type of uh, state uh, purchases, government purchases? Uh, what makes military spending is different than, uh, let's say, like other welfare state uh, spending, social expenditures, is that uh, actually, increasing military spending doesn't hurt the, doesn't harm the interest of ruling class uh, because you do you don't redistribute income, you don't increase the wages. So that's the uh, only way to absorb the surplus. Uh, and of course, there are some other uh, theories, uh, basically based on this discussion uh, or this argument made by Baron and Swizzy. Uh, like Michael Calder, uh, by Michael Calder. Uh, and there are lots of discussion around whether it is true or not. And in my book, I try to cover that uh, discussions, the, the debates based on empirical research. Uh, and actually, that was also uh, one of the other motivation for this book. Uh, I want to make my own contribution to that debate to see if military spending uh, really uh, helps the economy or not, but not in terms of just economic growth or in terms of creating employment, but basically focusing on profit rates. Uh, again, I think it was a little bit long answer to your question, but that is the basically uh, contribution of uh, Marxist uh, thinking, Marxist uh, thoughts on the military spending. And of course, when they make that discussion, uh, if you ask me from a more uh, specific mechanism, they focus on actually organic composition of capital uh, because uh, increasing military spending actually uh, prevents the rise in organic composition of capital because you remove the capital from the civilian activities. So, and there is also again this spin off effect because. Uh, the technology that was provided, created in military sector, actually helps to cheapen uh, actually constant capital, which also prevents this organic composition of capital and thereby uh, helps to profit rate to sustain. Uh, but there are some other uh, also mechanisms in which military spending may reduce profit rate Again, just because of the organic composition of capital, uh, because it is a fact that 
overall organic composition of capital is higher in military sector. So therefore, higher share of military means that we are talking about higher composition of capital and therefore lower profit rate. And also, if the burden of military spending is on capitalists, then of course we cannot expect the uh, positive impact of military spending on the profit rate. So uh, my point is that if I wasn't clear enough, uh, there are counter arguments. So there is no the theory. There are some positive effects and there are also some negative effects. And it seems actually this is more sort of empirical issue than theoretical question. And that's why uh, I like to see, you know, what is going on by providing some empirical evidence. But in the same chapter, uh, I also uh, try to make a very modest attempt to provide a pure uh, theoretical uh, perspective to effect of military spending on profit rates. Uh, again, uh, I'm saying that it's just a very modest uh, contribution. Uh, basically, I revisit Duncan Foley's uh, The Circuit of Capital Model uh, introduced in 1982. Uh, in that model, basically, I just divided uh, the government sector into military and non-military uh, to see how military spending affects profit rate. And there, the basic assumption is uh, spending lag and realization lags, uh, one key part of the model, they are by nature lower in the military sector. Therefore, higher share of military spending is associated with higher profit rates. So that was the basic implication of the model. And I think that assumptions are realistic uh, because that's why we are talking about very profitable industry because you know what makes military sector different than civilian sector in terms of the viewpoint of producers, uh, they are likely to enjoy higher profit rates and the production is independent from the fluctuations in the economy. It is independent from the purchasing power of the people because your customers are not people. Uh, you make the deal with the government. And as soon as you sign the paper, actually, you start to get your money. You know that you will be selling your fighter jets or your missiles. So in that sense, it's a very sweet deal, if you allow me to say that. And that's why uh, there is no realization lag if you go back to the Duncan Foley's the circuit of capital model. And that's why the model, my uh, tiny adjustment or altered version of the model, suggests that higher military spending, uh, sorry, higher military sector, and of course that means higher military spending, is associated with higher profit rates. Since you mentioned Marx and Engels, I was trying to imagine what was war like in the 19th century and what the weapons uh, and military investments were at that time. So probably 
they, Marx and Engels could have been interested in aggregate demand, profit rates, and composition and accumulation of capital. But probably at that time, uh, the so-called uh, technological spillovers were less important than today. I am referring to the fact that uh, people argue that military spending is a way, in fact, to get innovation for other sectors, the, civil se- the civilian sectors like health, transport, and communication. What do you think about this? Is there a different relationship between uh, um, technological spillover and military spending today and in the past? Uh, of course, this is not in your book, but uh, I was curious to ask you. Uh, it is, it's a very uh, good point. It's a very interesting point. Uh, and you are absolutely right. Uh, there is some change in that structure, in that mechanism, uh, because spillover effect uh, suggests that the technology is was is created in the military sectors and then actually uh, spreads to the civilian sector. It benefits whole economy, and that was the case uh, all the way to I think 1980s. At least some scholars, that's what they argue. Uh, but then some others argue that this mechanism is not uh, now the other way around. So that means actually now the most of the basic uh, major technologies are created in the civilian sector. So this spillover effect is not valid anymore with the 1980s, 90s. So it's a little bit uh, more complicated discussion. I basically just reviewed, mentioned in my book, uh, didn't look at the details. But it is true that, you know, the role of military in terms of creating technology is not as much as it used to be. Very interesting. Let's move to the final two chapters. So your empirical study, the the very original component of this book, which is not only a theoretical analysis of the um, military spending uh, in the economy, but also your case studies, your econometric analysis of the nexus between military expenditure and the profit rate. Can you what can you tell us about this? Oh uh, sure. And as you mentioned, actually, this book has six chapters in addition to introduction and conclusion chapters. Uh, first two chapters were uh, dealing with uh, mainstream theories, as we discussed, like uh, what are the mainstream economic models that explain the effect of military spending on economic growth. Uh, another chapter was uh, focused on military Keynesianism and military industrial complex, like two chapters on mainstream economics. Then following two chapters uh, focus on uh, Marxist perspective to look at the details of uh, this mechanism, how military spending affect profit rates rather than economic gro- uh, growth. And the final two chapters is the uh, the core part of the book, I should say, uh, where uh, the main, I should say, uh, contribution of the book. Uh, there are two chapters because the first chapter has uh, panel analysis, and I try to complement uh, this chapter with time series analysis in the uh, second chapter in this chapter seven, uh, I focus on actually 31 major countries, and you know as you can guess they are major European countries, and also uh, Canada, United States, Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, South Korea, South Africa, uh, uh, and Chile. Uh, so, uh, and I am covering like over 50 years time period from 1960 to 2017. But in the case of United States, uh, which is the country I pay more attention uh, because it's the biggest uh, arms producer, biggest spender. Uh, in the case of United States, uh, the data goes back to the 1950. Uh, so it's sort of like a little bit more longer time period. 
So I try to use like the more appropriate econometric methods. Uh, basically, I use autoregressive distributed lag. Uh, and I have basically uh, three sets of analysis uh, with and without unemployment uh, due to lack of data. Uh, the second set of analysis, I pay attention to different time periods, uh, like the whole period and just focusing on neoliberal area. And the third set of analysis, I think uh, perhaps the most important part, I pay attention to the role of economies in arms trade. So like you cannot treat United States and Greece uh, the same in terms of their role, because one is a typical arms producer, it's a typical uh, arms uh, importer. So I also try to see if the effect of military spending on profit rate changes with respect to countries' uh, position, uh, like the uh, country's role in arms trade. So, uh, of course, I'm going to skip the details, uh, but overall, uh, this panel uh, analysis argues that the effect of military spending on profit rate seems positive if you just pay attention to the whole period. But this positive effect disappears if you just focus on uh, the you know, post-1980, the neoliberal period. Either it disappears or even it is possible to argue that there is negative effect. So that's the one conclusion. And that's the, true, that's, uh, the case if you consider unemployment or not. Uh, and more important findings is that, yes, the effect of military spending changes with respect to the country's role in arms trade. Uh, I'm not saying that uh, the empirical evidence is very strong, uh, but there is some, to a certain degree, there is some uh, evidence that the effect is likely to be positive for arms exporting countries and arms importing countries uh, likely uh, not to enjoy, uh, let's say, quote unquote, positive effects of military spending. So mm, my point is that, let's say, the United States, in the case of United States, uh, military spending actually increases profit rates or with better way, let's say, it counteracts to decline in the rate of profits, but that's not the case uh, for countries like Greece or Turkey. And finally, last chapter, I try to make more specific analysis uh, separately for each of the country uh, and paying extra uh, special attention to the United States and see if this relationship changes, uh, if you use different methods or if you pay attention to non-linearity. Uh, and Overall, I can uh, say that it is totally fair to say that the findings of this time series analysis confirm the findings in the previous chapter in the sense that, yes, overall, we are talking about positive effect. Uh, but, you know, in the last uh, years, in the last decades, that effect became negative. And it's also likely that if country is an arm producer and seller, they are more likely to enjoy uh, higher profit rates, uh, but otherwise, actually, that hurt your economy if you are a simply a buyer, if you are an importer country like Greece or Turkey. So that was the main uh, contribution of this book, I should say. Very interesting contribution. And if you are interested in the details, 
uh, you can buy the book to see the results of the empirical analysis for uh, specific countries that you might be interested in. Because besides the difference between exporting and importing, there are also national differences, and you can see these uh, in a relatively large empirical section of the book and there is also a very rich appendix section of the book. Uh, maybe now I would like to ask you if you're working on any other uh, books. So what are the, the projects you are working now on? Uh, frankly, you know, there is nothing in my mind, but uh, now as I man uh, mentioned at the beginning of this talk, I said I have two distinct research fields, economics of gender and the effects of military spending. Uh, maybe I should correct myself because they are not very distinct because there is also a strong correlation between uh, patriarchy and militarism. Uh, and that's sort of my new interest. Uh, actually, recently, uh, I, I have a working paper to analyze the impact of military spending on gender inequality and female labor force participation rates with Professor uh, Morgatam from uh, Northeastern University. Uh, I think I'd like to uh, extend my research in that direction. Maybe uh, I should say dig in to that relationship, how militarization actually uh, increases gender inequality in the countries and how it affects female labor force participation rates. Perhaps, perhaps that would be my next research question. Gender and military spending, that would be a wonderful new book and we look forward to have it available. But for the time being, for the time being, congratulations for uh, the current book, which is The Economics of Military Spending, a Marxist Perspective, published by Routledge in 2019. We have just spoken with the author, Professor Adam Yavutz Alveren from Fitchburg State University in the United States. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thanks so much. New Books in Economics, brought to you by EAEPE, the European Association for Evolutionary Political Economy.